0: If you are a teacher, parent, administrator, student, and or anyone who loves reconnecting children with nature, and you want to figure out how to cultivate learning gardens and nature-based curriculum, then this is the podcast, the Outdoor Classrooms Podcast. My name is Victoria Hackett. I am the founder of OutdoorClassrooms.com and the Secret Gardens Nature Classes. I love witnessing the magic that happens when children are playfully learning outdoors. Observing the return of wonder and curiosity when children are interacting with nature is pure magic. This is the podcast that is going to help you capture children's interest and give you not only inspiration, but some real life strategies that are going to help you figure out how to use the outdoor space, your outdoor space, as a teaching tool so you can enlighten the playful learning experience for young children. Welcome. To our outdoor classrooms community. Before we dive in, I just wanted to give you a heads up on something that's super special. We've never done this before, and I'm really excited about it. We are building momentum in our circle membership, and we are inviting all of you to join us if you've been not too sure about it and kind of want to take a peek and see what's going, what it's all about, for just a dollar, we are granting you one month full access to our membership site. It's an opportunity for you to take a deep dive, discover more, and make progress on your goals. If you missed the three part training series, which was fantastic, uh, you will be able to find that in the Circle membership dashboard. So join now for just a dollar. You can register with a coupon code, which I am offering to all our listeners. So go to www.outdoor-classrooms.com and go under membership, the circle membership, and add in the coupon code IGNITEWONDER and you will get the entire month for $1 and this offer ends on October 10th. So really make sure you sign up now. We'd love to see you. Talk to you soon. Bye. Hello, today we have Ricardo Sierra here joining us. His journey into nature education began in 1985 as a summer camp counselor, augmenting his own wilderness skills training that continues today. Over the last 35 years, he has led, taught, directed, and facilitated programs in summer camps, day-long workshops, intensive trainings, after-school programs, and festivals, to name a few. He's been an advocate for getting our youth connected to nature, and he has also trained staff every year for his own programs and camps as well. He brings a wealth of knowledge, hard won from decades of experience, and he enjoys helping others to get the benefits and build their own uniquely inspired programs. He enjoys finding positive mentoring relationships with anyone who's passionate about helping the world be a better place. Without further ado, Ricardo Sierra. Hello everybody, we are here with Ricardo Sierra. He is a wilderness educator and I'm going to have him introduce himself. Welcome, welcome Ricardo.
1: Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks a lot.
0: Great. So in our our last episode, episode 52, I was introducing three approaches to teaching outdoors. And I'm thrilled that Ricardo is here to tell his story about how he became a wilderness educator. And that is one of the three approaches that we talked about. You can go to our episode 52 to learn more about that. But we have, have you introduce yourself and just tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're doing now. But I want to Begin from the very beginning, which is how you became a forest school educator. So.
1: All right, that sounds great. Uh, well, great to be here again. And I, I started, you know, a love of nature course very young, like everybody always says. Oh, early memories, blah, blah, blah. But I'm also, I'm 59, so I grew up in an era before all the latest technologies and screens and everything else. So I had a, a childhood where I lived mostly pretty rural in terms of upbringing. And I was always fascinated with learning about uh, Native Americans and kind of pioneering like that, that kind of adventure stories, early settlers. All of those things really spoke to me. And so you know, I kind of felt like growing up in the modern world that it, it felt like, oh, that era has gone. There's really no wilderness left. Everything's been explored. So, you know, I mostly just tried to live in my head with these stories. And I would go out and try to learn how to make a spear or I, w- I would try to learn some of these old skills. But the from a story, I remember this one Indian legend that said it was a story about these boys and the mom saying to them, hey, go out and get basswood bark so we can make fishing line. And I remember just sitting there afterwards and going, okay, I'm not sure how you make Fishing line out of bark, and what's a basswood? Because I had no idea what any of that was, and and then when I would go look at and find out what it is, I realized okay, I have no idea how to get the fibers. I don't know what we're talking about. And then a few years later, I fast forward to when I was like nineteen. I met. This man named Tom Brown and Tom Brown ran a wilderness program that teaches kind of a Native American style skills approach as opposed to, say, a military wilderness education. And so I went there and he was just like, here's how to go tracking animals and here's how to make a fire with nothing you know, with just your your hands and rocks and whatever you can find, uh, build shelters out of, out of leaves and debris. And his philosophy really hit me very powerfully. I, I think it was at that time in my life where I really didn't know where I was going to go. I'd gone for a few years of college, didn't like it that much. And I just was like, this is what I love to do. I love sitting around a fire with a few other people making stuff. And then testing it to see if it would be functional and work and then tr- modifying and testing and just being out and exploring. And the the shortest possible answer I can tell you is the more I practice those skills after I left his class, the more kids would show up. I would just be in the woods in a park or in somebody's backyard or in a, wherever. And somehow there'd be kids that would just show up. There'd be three, three young people standing there going like, what are you doing? And I'm just like, oh, I'm trying to make a fire, or I'm carving a spoon, or whatever. And they would go, the, Can can we do that? And I'm just like, Okay. And I got to the point where I was get, I was actually, I would actually bring like three or four carving knives. I would actually bring supplies wherever I went because whenever I'd sit anywhere somebody would show up. Wow. And eventually I got invited to help at a summer camp that was a nature farm and nature camp and the director had seen this and said, "Hey, you know, you'd be great with these kids. They they just seem to love it." And so that was my first step into suddenly realizing that these are these there was a power to these skills and I mean, I had no formal training in education but they loved it. And so I just started my journey in that way.
0: Yeah. So, wow. It's amazing how that evolution of you being out free in the world and being able to roam and how that led to picking up these skills in the forest. And that's fascinating. That was a farm camp, you were saying.
1: Right, right. So that's, again,
0: yeah. one of the different approaches. And then, But you were more interested in the forest and all the different things that the forest had to offer.
1: Yeah, I wasn't really a farmer. Uh So at that time, for sure, like I didn't have an
0: appreciation. <laughs> For farms,
1: I was really just like wilderness is the best. Everything else (laughs) sucks, you know. And so, like, you know, I had jobs where they would say, "Ricardo, you're going to do barn chores this year, this week, or something." And I'd be like, "Okay." And we'd go there, and I'd say, "Look, guys, I don't like being in the barn. I'm pretty sure you guys don't like being in the barn. Let's get done as fast as we can." And then the the farmer saw that we were blasting through it and getting the heck out of there, and he was like, "Yeah, let's not have Ricardo do the farm chores anymore." (laughs) You know, and and understanding later, I'm like, now as looking back, I'm like, yeah, that was very obnoxious of me. But that was just where my head was at. I didn't mean it in an offensive way. I just, I had a priority and that was like, I just wanted to go like an arrow right to that. But the thing that was interesting was that eventually I started my own camp where we just, I said, what if I didn't have to do barn chores and all these games and all these other things that I thought of as sort of like filler for some yeah. of the programs. And when I started my own camp, I, I just put everything that I thought would be fun in there and then just ran with it. And this was like 1989. So it was a while ago. And at that time, the average child who was 12 or 13 or 10. They knew how to tie three or four different kinds of knots. They knew how to sharpen a knife. They knew how to use a knife. They knew how to pack a backpack. They knew how to use a map and compass. They knew how to fish. Like they knew a lot already. Mm-hmm. So when I was there, I just could say, "Hey, let's make this," and they we just could do it. We didn't have to like go back and do all these sort of step-by-step learning of mm-hmm. skills. And that's been one of kind of the shocking thing. It's not that shocking now, but I realized over every five years or so, kids would show up with less and less experience and skills. And now I would say it's out of out of 20 children, maybe one or two have even half of those skills when they show up. So, so I've had to really change the curriculum, change my approach. Some of them never slept outside before, most of them. So I've had to really adapt and, and I haven't really fought it. I mean, as a person who's done this for years, it's easy to go, oh, wow, these people today, blah, blah, blah. Like nobody really wants to hear that. No one. And I can feel that. But at the same time, I just look at the kids and go, where, where are they at? And how can I help them to get from where they start, you know, down here and go up a few notches? I don't need to go. Twenty notches. I can just go up from here to here, and it doesn't really matter if I could do really advanced stuff if they're not able to do it. And so, so that I, was going to
0: be my next question, which yeah. was your challenges, the challenges that you were witnessing, and how that how you had to pivot in your program right. and using those challenges as more of opportunities. We can go on, and we right. can spot, talk all day about nature deficit disorder and what's happening to our children sure. and and all of that. But really, in terms of how did you you were faced with with the beginning probably watching nature deficit t- disorder grow right. how did you pivot how how have you seen this issue and right. challenge and
1: well yeah it's interesting because when i was watching these children change as they as their experiences in nature have diminished i i've always thought of my summer camp as not just a wilderness skills camp it was i always thought of it as a human development program hidden hidden inside a wilderness camp meaning the children show up because they want to learn wilderness survival. They want to learn tracking. They want to learn adventure. But what I was trying to do was to help them develop as human beings within that. So, in other words, the skills was not front and center as far as the internal priority. If you, if you had come to my camp at you know whatever 1995 and just saw that, you would think, oh, that's what they do, wilderness survival. But everything was really about creating experiences for them to develop their awareness develop their group identity, being able to communicate with each other, team building, creativity, all the skills that are associated with that, all the experiences, all the challenges that we gave them, all were designed to do that and also help them feel good about themselves. Like everything to me was about, can you, I always think no child should ever feel bad about themselves in your pro in my programs or any program, because, you know, maybe they're just not into doing a certain skill. And so what, like, Just let them not do it if they don't want to do it. Like it's, it wasn't about me. It was about them. Uh, So, uh so that was kind of one of my kind of early philosophy. I don't want to like, like stone in my foundation that I just was like, I'm going to anchor my program on this. And I would talk to my staff and say, if you're going to work with me, it's going to be about them not you. If you need your ego stroked by having all the kids make fire and one kid doesn't want to make fire, that's your problem, not their problem. And yeah. you shouldn't be trying to get your, you, you shouldn't be trying to get points that way. That's not mm-hmm. a smart. And that was kind of different than a lot of other wilderness programs. Some of them, they, yeah. they would get fooled into thinking it's all about, I mean, that's the same for like science camps, right? Like some they're like, oh, we got to learn all the Latin names of all the birds. And we got to learn everything about what color eggs does a kingfisher have? And the reality is, that that's really not that important because anybody can look that up now in right. five so seconds.
0: So really, really focusing so, on the child.
1: Yeah, and it's about the relationship and it's about mm-hmm. your relationship there. And if you're just going to be like hammering them with information, that's then it's just, it's boring and it's kind of overwhelming and it's just, it's not helpful. I mean, college ed, college professors do that to first year biology students. <laughs> sometimes they're just like, you're going to learn every single tree by Thursday and in the, in the Northeast. And I just go like, okay, well, if you're 25 and you're doing that, that's probably not that bad. And you might have to Pull an all nighter, five three nights or something. But the point is, I still don't think that's the best way to learn. And I really didn't want to do that to the show. I didn't want to give them a reason to like not like nature or feel frustrated or whatever.
0: So you've had a a couple awakenings along the way in terms of really being dedicated to what you were saying before that arrow in terms of really want to work in the wilderness. And then you, as time went on, you realized that you wanted to serve more people. Your camp was was serving and touching many families and so on and so forth. But you had another awakening uh, right. that you really wanted to, that you seeing all of the, our world, all right. this happening again with nature deficit disorder and, and the state of our children's and education. And we can go on and on about that. But you realized that, wow, if I could pivot again, rather than directing the youth programs to actually train the teachers. Can you tell us a little bit about
1: that? Yeah, I, I, you know, it was was about seven or eight years ago, I think, that I kind of looked at my career and I said, I had counted up one day, I had said, think of all the programs that I've done over the years. And I added, you know, I just kind of counted like, oh, I did a workshop here with this many children and I did summer camps and I did after school programs. And when I counted up all the participants for my whole career, it came out to being something like 13,000 students that I touched. And I looked at that and I went, wow, that's a lot of kids. Like that's a lot of people, not just children, but adults, teenagers, staff, uh, families, whatever. And I thought about that. And that was the same year that the Gulf oil crisis happened where there was just like whatever millions of gallons of oil, just like blasting into the Gulf of Mexico. And, and I looked at that and then I looked at my number and I was like, I was feeling pretty good about myself. And then I looked at it and I went, this isn't enough. Like, yeah. yeah. Is it, is it good that I taught that many people? Sure it is. I'm, I'm, I'm happy that I did that. Yes. Whatever. It's a small feather in my hat. That is, it's a good thing. But I thought at at that point, I also like looked at the numbers and I said, well, let me just see how many school age children there are in the United States. Mm -hmm. And it was something like 65 million kids. And I said, okay, well that the impression, the the impressive number of 13,000 people over 30 years, compared to 65 million children in the United States. And I said, it's not enough. What we're doing is not enough. It's not having an impact because we should have learned our lesson with the goal, you know, the Exxon Valdez in Alaska back whenever 25 years earlier. And that was horrible. And here we are in whatever it is, 2016 or something. And I said, this isn't enough. Like we have to have a much, much bigger impact, much faster. And that's when I went, how do I understand what messaging is and marketing and basically trying to say, how do we communicate what this is? Because I'll be honest with you. I can't, I, I'm sick of seeing an article again and again going like, hey, recent new study says that being in nature is helpful or whatever. And I'm just like, you guys, like we have enough studies, <laughs> quit, <laughs> quit spending another Million dollars on a study and getting college students and waiting for five years and all this stuff. I said, could you stop doing that? And instead try to figure out how do we create a movement that gets every kid a chance to be in nature and to get those benefits. And just you guys are, you think that like, if we just bury everybody in statistics, that then it will just magically happen. And I'm like, that is not. No one is getting that. It's just not that is a logical fallacy uh, that anybody can look at with just seeing historically in the last 25, 30 years that it is not working. So that's when I I started like talking to business coaches. I started talking about media, digital influencers, so to speak, Mm -hmm. and studying Mm -hmm. what they do. And, you know, some of it was just you know it's just kind of crazy out there but but there were some things that really were helpful to understand and i i've just been really looking at well how do you do that how do you do it ethically and at the same time also you know take whatever possible skills or approaches we can to make an actual difference because if you don't do it then you just i don't know i've seen so many people that are just like i'm i'm saving nature and i'm like you have seven kids in the backyard making mud pies and that's good but you're not Saving the world because we are—we have a, millions of children, and we have to find a way to do something bigger. And and honestly, I think it's a—it's
0: it, yeah. a matter of building a movement and a right, coalition right. and i think it's doing exactly what we're doing today yes and talking to each other learning about building those relationships and i think it's again all those folks that are are building mud pies and those those memories right. will carry on to those children but i think i think it's, I think it's yeah. about a coalition i think it's about how we all can take all the different approaches that we're teaching outdoors and talk to each other and there are different approaches We're all not we don't all need to do the same thing. Some are on again, farms and outdoor classrooms and but I do think it's it's doing more of it so it becomes the norm. And how do how do we get to that point? That's the that's the how do we get to the point that we have an outdoor classroom in every school? That we have folks going into the wilderness programs, that we have farms that we have farm to school programs. We got the nut- nutrition. Tell us a little bit right. more about your, you you have an incredible TED Talk. Yeah, yeah I, I did love, a TED Talk. I,
1: that was really stressful doing that, actually.
0: But. I, I loved it. I mean, again, <laughs> another way to to get the word out there, to get this conversation going and to do a TED Talk and what you're saying, all these different ways of getting that word out there, not necessarily another X, Y, and Z study, um, but to develop these resources so people can kind of tap into it how can we do that and i think you do that beautifully and your ted talk was was superb it was oh, very I, captivating i appreciate that so much you're a wonderful storyteller and i think you because you had so many experiences with children in various can't fire settings, I'm sure. Uh, your storytelling is incredible. And uh, it really came across.
1: Oh, well, that's good. I I, I literally, you know, I changed it about 12 times. And I actually, the last time I changed it was like right, like a day before I was doing it. And I you know you're supposed to like have it all down and then spend a month just re- repeating it. That yeah. didn't happen. <laughs> I just kept going like, I don't feel like it's right. And I would yeah. just. Keep and, and uh, it drove me crazy so but but you know what like it, it was it's something and and every bit that we're doing like i want to be really clear i think anybody doing anything out with nature and ch- with children is really powerful and important however i'm like look, i'm looking at it from that more like meta analysis or a hawk's eye view if you will to say okay are we then we are a movement that's growing but what are the what are some of the things that are going to happen at a certain point where we need actual advocates to get us into the like public schools or we need we need people to kind of talk to those administrators not just parents mm-hmm. not just mm-hmm. teachers but talk to those administrators and say hey here's what are the possibilities and so i'm kind of like trying to get that bigger picture and okay. one of the things I did was I said, well, I'm going to try just kind of like what you're doing, which is great, championing, like just connecting with other educators and giving them a platform to share what they've learned. So I started a podcast this this past June and I've said I want to try to offer like forest education training not necessarily for forest school educators like to to become a forest school for uh, mm-hmm. forest preschool or forest kindergarten but for those people that work with children of all ages or adults and to say hey how can i help you with your business help you see the field in a different way and grow that so i've started developing trainings for that and and then the you know the the idea here is like learning i want to learn from everybody and what they're doing and what they're seeing and then see if there's a way to begin figuring out who's actually interested in working at that meta level and then see if we could actually kind of clear the way to make it easier for forest educators with some experience to go into a public school, and how do we help them do that? Because there's a big difference between working with like 12 kids, again, in your backyard doing your doing the wonderful things that Forest Early Childhood Education stuff is. It's a whole other thing to try to do that, you know, on a playground with tetherball and 17 reluctant elementary school teachers who really are being forced to do this and they don't want to do it. And how do we get a few, get them on board? And how do we like that's just a whole nother element in addition to the child part? So I've been just thinking a lot about that and saying like, Hey, this is going to, this is going to be really important. If we want them to be long term success, we have to, we have to find a way to make sure that they have the right support in doing this so that it doesn't just kind of crash and burn six months or two years into it. And then now it's like, Oh yeah, we tried that and uh, it doesn't. Work, or no one was into it, or no one wanted to do it.
0: I think it's it's very similar to children learning. I think when children are forced and forced to say, Okay, this is the way we're going to learn it, and they're given a piece of paper and they have to sit at a desk, they're not going to learn it. They're not because it's not coming intrinsically from them. And I think it's the same for educators and teachers that I think that if they can tap into their own memories of play and their own and just get into a place of play, playful learning. Then, then when they can share that there, it has to come. And everybody I've spoken to on this podcast has, has a story about a childhood memory or when they became a parent, it they realized and, right. but it's, it, when it comes intrinsically, it, it shifts the mindset, but when it is shoved down their throat, there's a resistance. And I think it's very similar to that of when we teach children, we all learn. And I love just in your own story. Yeah. Yeah. Change is hard, and if you've been in the system for so long, but I also have heard stories about teachers that have decided to take their classes outside, and there's this complete renewed sense of rebirth of right, their whole right. teaching Excitement practice.
1: Excitement to Yeah, exactly.
0: Because they're getting that they're getting that fuel from just being out in nature. So again, trying to get have these conversations, everybody sort of meeting each other, not working in separate silos and and Mm -hmm. holding on to what they've got, just sort of let's talk about this. Let's have this conversation. And I think that's again, similar to you, it's one of the reasons why I started the podcast is to create this platform, but to also continue this dialogue and meet the people that are doing the work and showcasing it. And then it's like, you know, you're at a dinner party and like, oh, you want to meet this person and you want to meet this person. And right. And then hopefully it becomes again, my vision is wouldn't it be fantastic to have this be the norm in the school, that everybody that's coming out of certificate or degree programs, this is a huge part of it, that you have the forest school and you have the outdoor classroom and then you have the farm school, all these different approaches that they can choose from. Like, oh yeah, I'm really into the farm or I'm really into the forest. So it's not one or the other, it's it's just options, providing options in what's available.
1: Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, one, one of the advantages that I've had is that I studied wilderness skills really like almost full-time. I mean, I had, a, I had a full-time job carpentry and doing all kinds of other jobs too, but I was like 100% focused on learning new skills, mastering those skills, going out into the woods and testing it, going to the desert, testing it, yeah. going to the mountains, going all over. I went all over the US saying, could I survive here? What could I do? You know, get got caught in a flash flood in Utah. It was like, okay, what do I do? All these things helped me to give me a foundation of the skill so that i could focus on my relationship with the children while i was doing it yeah and then, and then over the years i've seen that that my staff people i would hire they would come in with less and less experience with the skill so in many cases they were like they weren't really able to like be present with the children because they were They were just trying to make sure they could make a fire in front of them and show them how to do it. And so I I thought a lot about like, how do we train people and to help them with some of these things, which, you know, in, in like, say forest schools where you're in a forest preschool type model or kindergarten, you don't, you can do child led. And so therefore they're not looking to you to show them Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. seven, you know, the way to make an Apache arrow or something like that, you know, like Mm -hmm. they're not. They're not looking for a specific technique. They're just like, hey, let's go do what we're going to do and be creative and let them do their thing. But as the children get older, then they they want to learn a little bit more in a deeper way and understand some of the bigger connections. And, and that's kind of one of the things I'm curious about as well is how do you help people who are teaching at that level to have a lot of confidence when they're a little out of their element? And they're kind of being expected. It would be like if I said to you, like, hey, um, okay, next week you're going to be teaching calculus to uh, fifth graders. And you'd be like, "Uh uh-oh. Uh-oh, uh-oh, oh <laughs> red alert, red alert, which which would, you know, just like a calculus teacher, if you said, hey, you're going to watch a 17 kindergartners crawl over a log for two hours, everybody's going to have their comfort zone. Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. And
1: so I'm, I'm trying to think of like, well, how do you do this at scale? How do you scale that so that we could have 40,000 teachers learn the, what they need to learn to actually be able to deliver these programs at a, at a in a powerful way that will then get the results that we want. So the older children and the older grades are, are more, they're trickier. You know, you know what I mean? I mean, like you can learn the philosophy of the forest school stuff for, uh, you know, in six months or a year, you can do those programs and then you can be like, okay, for three hours, we're doing this program a certain way. But when you start doing anything deeper than that, you do run up against that weird barrier. It's like yeah. a there's a little bit of a learning curve. And, you know, I taught some teachers down in Georgia at a, at a nature school, like about maybe 10 years ago. And we all got together and I did a training and and I I thought that they were all outdoor educators. And I so I was just like, oh, I'm going to teach you about storytelling and rites of passage and mentoring. And they just said, can we go outside and learn? And I realized none of them knew. They were all teachers who had been hired and they didn't really know that much about the outdoors. And so we went out and walked around in the woods and they were so many of them were so uncomfortable just stepping Mm. one foot off the trail. They were freaking out. Is that a tick? Is that a tick? Is that, you know, is that a spider? Is it a black widow? Like they were freaking out, literally just walking in a beautiful springtime woods. And I was like, oh man, this is good. I I did not realize that I should have been teaching everything completely outside Mm -hmm, and just skipped mm -hmm. all the other stuff and just got them comfortable outside. I didn't realize I had to do that. So, so I'm learning, I was learning a lot about how, how do we just find where the teachers are at and right. then help them get comfortable. And at the very end of the training, one of them, I asked them like, is there anything else that you really wish you'd learned? Or can you give me some advice or whatever? And I don't know, at least, at least 10 of the teachers were like, we just wanted you to tell us some songs that would maybe get the kids excited and kind of like a, a doing a cheer or what, what kind of thing, like they were used to doing stuff that they have yeah. to do in classrooms which is kind of like, rah, 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 let's do this silly thing. And then let's do that. And I was just like, yeah, I don't do any of that. Like, that's just not my game. Mm -hmm. And and I just thought I was like, yeah, I don't really try to cheerlead like that almost always backfires to me, because it feels like it's a little bit inauthentic. Like, it's like, hey, let me manipulate you into being excited right now. And you don't even know why you're you're excited and you don't know what's happening. Anyway, I was it was really eye-opening for me because I did not really have firsthand view of what modern education is like in, in yeah. urban schools or suburban schools for elementary. I just didn't I didn't know what that culture was. It's I tough. Expectations it's tough. Are.
0: The schools are tough. It's yes, yeah. because they so are that was eye-opening. That uh, that out of box thinking and really what you said in terms of it's it's critical to meet the teachers and where they are and and go from yeah. there but it, yeah, there's no, so it's much but i love <laughs> this piece that you offer that it's wildlife being a wilderness educator and really bringing educators into the forest and i feel like your work is so part of su- that that survival piece um, yeah or skill building and and all the different types I and mean, there's a vastness to it and it's exciting so i feel like i could talk to you for three days <laughs> but for which we will definitely have you back but is Is there anything else you want to share that we feel like we've missed?
1: Sure. Well, it's kind of like from my TED talk a little bit where like I look at it in like three kind of blocks when I think of it. And that is one side of it is skills. Like if you can help children learn something new that they can use to take care of themselves, then that builds like a confidence inside of them uh, that you can't take away. You know, it's just this like, Mm -hmm. hey, I know how to you know build a campfire, or I know how to tie these knots, or the the list goes on. I can see what's went on in my backyard, even though I wasn't there, because I know a little bit about tracking or whatever. Mm -hmm. And that's something you'll have your whole life. And then the other side of it is about just being comfortable in nature and being able to like be in a to build a little bit of a relationship to the natural world not not just use nature as your backdrop for everything else you're doing like in other words if you go on a hike or if you're going on a hike and you have your headphones on and you're just like listening to a book on tape or some music and you're just you know it doesn't really matter you could be on a treadmill you could be anywhere you're right. yes you're outside yes you're going to get some of the benefit of being outside but you're not may- building a relationship yeah. to nature so it's like giving them giving them little experiences that help them open their senses and Bond with nature in a a deeper way than just using it as a backdrop. And then the third is really for me about bonding, like that they have the ability to bond, meaning to form meaningful relationships with somebody around them who sees who they are as a person and what they're trying to be and what they could be down the road and to see how they're developing, like someone who can see them, and not just a a kid in a a sea of other children, Mm -hmm. but to really see them and to go, hey, you did a great job today, or, and that bonding, and it doesn't have to necessarily be just with teachers, but that they're bonding with someone, a parent, a grandparent, aunt, uncle, nephew, a camp counselor, a teacher, whoever, and if you, and if you have all three of those things happening, you're building an incredible foundation for that person to have a good life. I'm not even talking about like, oh, they'll become a naturalist someday. I don't care about that. I want them to be able to have access to those things. If you have that, you're going to be able to exhibit, you're going to naturally exhibit leadership, creative problem solving. You're going to have the ability to get over the things that we all deal with in life. And, And I don't see, like, I don't see my... My focus isn't like on wildlife. That's not really what it is. Mm -hmm. It's really about trying to understand what's happening in those children when we're giving them those experiences and then understanding what's happening with each other and, and beginning to feel like what we do, whether we're a camp counselor or whoever, that we're professionals and that we're going to keep those children safe and we're going to have opportunities for them to grow and and that's kind of what I'm really hoping to champion is that spirit of that and forest and nature I, oh I guess the last thing I'd say is I really wanted to move away from wilderness survival like yes mm. most of my experience has been teaching wilderness survival skills to children and adults and teens and at the same time I'm like if I try to go to a school and say hey I want to teach wilderness survival, it's going to it's going to fall like a brick on the sidewalk yeah. nobody really everybody sees it with a different lens of like risk and oh it's problematic and is this guy crazy and is it bare grills or you know repelling off a cliff or some crazy thing <laughs> and and I look at it and, th- and say, "Well, really, what we're doing? I, I, I'm trying to rename it as forest education, not and being a forest educator, not a wilderness educator. Because mm-hmm. if you're teaching, you can't really teach a wilderness education program in a, say, urban downtown Baltimore at a school with broken glass on the playground or something mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm. Like it's just not." wilderness. So, so it's kind of like, it it seems even crazier, but if we, if we change that term, so I'm trying to like develop a way to, have a different way of saying that. And so I kind of termed forest educator because I didn't want, I didn't want to use earth educator. I'll, I know people that do, and I, and I love that, but it's like just saying earth kind of like, it, it's a little bit crunchy granola, hippie kind of, you know what I mean? It's uh-huh, like, okay, uh-huh. I've got my bowl of granola and I've got my sweater on and, and we're going to do, it's earth educate, you know, and it just feels a little bit like it's got baggage. So I was like, you know what? Forest is like really clean. I mean, obviously, you could call it desert education or ocean education, <laughs> but I was just looking at it as a term for nature without with it being something a little bit new that maybe doesn't have that negative negative or problematic connection. And, and then from there, you can teach whatever you want within that capacity. Like you can still do wilderness skills. You can still do tracking. You can still do the outdoor classrooms, everything, but hopefully getting a chance to have a different experience, just getting the reception. You know, you just, if we don't get our foot in the door and, and, you know, if the, if the door's already shut before we even get there, we're not going to, we're not going to get that 65 million children, the benefits. So yeah. we have to find those ways. So I'm, I'm trying to work on a lot of different levels with this. So, and I love what you're doing because the outdoor classroom thing is just like, it's just key because that that's something that teachers and schools can just say, let's just do it. And you don't even necessarily have to do like a whole bunch of training and you don't need to be like special... You know, special. Tra- you don't need to be like tracking mm-hmm. for three years or something like that to just get outside and have get outside, get yeah. outside, open so, the door. So you're making open. it easier for them to open
0: the door yeah. to that.
1: Absolutely. Well, and um, I, I appreciate is- being here. This is really helpful. So, thank you.
0: Oh, thank you for joining us. So, where can anybody find you if they want to learn more about what you're doing and?
1: Well, uh, the easiest way to find me, I have two main ways right now, and one is the foresteducator.com. That's my website, and you can go there. You can send me a message anytime. Uh, I'm on Instagram as well. I also have a, a podcast called The Forest Educator, and it's on pretty much all podcast platforms. So you can go there. You can check out the podcast and then from there, you know, you could message me. I'm on Instagram as the Forest Educator Podcast as well. And you can find Ricardo Sierra. You can find me on Facebook or Instagram or whatever too. So yeah, LinkedIn, any place you feel like just I'm pretty public. So happy to answer questions or any anything.
0: Oh, well, thank you for right your on. time. Thank you for all the work that you are doing. And I hope that we can band together and really yeah. uh, connect more families and children and teachers to this movement. And again, I think it starts by these dialogues. So again, yeah. thank you so much for everything 100%. that you are doing to, to push the mountain further. Thank you. <laughs> you
1: <bet. laughs> well, all right. Thanks a lot.
0: for listening. I want to share just a few things before we leave and close today. First thing is to let you know that the trial offer for the membership is $1 $1 for one month if you use the coupon code IGNITE WONDER. And that is going out to all our listeners and subscribers. That special offer ends October 10th. And secondly, I wanted to share that the monthly live work, one hour workshops are coming back. So we will have our first monthly workshop. We're calling it a monthly workshop roundtable on October 17th, and Circle members get access to those workshops for free, and those will be $37 for anybody else that wants to join us. So those will be monthly, so keep an eye out for those. And thirdly, if you want to chat more, join us on our Instagram page. That's where I've been hanging out a lot lately. And share this episode with anyone who you might think is interested. Talk to you soon.